She was the one that really introduced me to coffee. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Glow Says Season 6, which I've decided to call Special Shorts. Here's a little story as my introduction today. Once upon a time, not very, very long ago, there were a couple of free-spirited dreamers named Mickey McLeod and Robin Scott who met in the parking lot of the Powell River Ferry Terminal. It was 1973. He calls himself a country boy, born and raised in British Columbia, who had lots of experience in forestry work, tree planting, building, and construction. His hands were always in the dirt, and he was comfortable with being on the land. He was also a very curious guy about how things worked, and he loved to observe what was going on around him. She was a city girl, a professional dancer from the Bay Area in California. And one day, this city girl took a trip with some friends to BC and met this country boy. They started as friends and eventually fell in love. After they got together, they enjoyed traveling up and down the coast and were partial to seeking out good coffee whenever they did. From sourcing five-pound bags of Mexican coffee beans from the Horizon Co-op to exploring cute little shops and cafes on the West Coast, the idea that they could roast coffee for sale started to form. As their lives took shape on Salt Spring Island, they realized they had the perfect elements for building a great coffee business right in their backyard. Incredible community and an appreciation for a natural lifestyle. As for the rest of the story, let's hear Mickey tell it in his own words. Robin's mother lived in Eugene, Oregon, and we would go back and forth quite regularly. Our daughter was young at the time, so, you know, and I would go and tromp around town and went to a Starbucks one day and picked up this book by Kenneth Davids. Mm-hmm. who is uh, an author, writes a lot of books about coffee. And he had one about home coffee roasting. So I bought the books, reading about it. And then on the way, uh, in the back of the book, you know, he's talking about where to get equipment. So there's a guy named um, Michael Sivitz, who is also well-known in the industry. He's since passed away, but he he was one of the ones that invented the, a hot air roaster. Like it was actually made, instead of using a drum, like what we do, most people do it, it's actually hot air. So it's like a, basically a popcorn popper and what he, you know, a large version, but what he was selling was converted popcorn poppers for home roasters. Oh, so we, we bought one and, you know, a selection of uh, green beans brought it home Mm -hmm. just for our own consumption, started Mm -hmm. roasting coffee and sharing it with friends and family. And I've always been pretty entrepreneurial and you know driven for exciting things and I thought oh maybe we could start selling this stuff and so what we were going to do is just get a small coffee roaster roast coffee and try to sell whole bean by the bag how are we going to distribute this and then in Ganges on Salt Spring Island a space became available (laughs) and then we decided to to lease it (laughs) <laughs> I should roll back a little bit. You know, we did some research before leasing the property and part okay. of it realizing that, you know, after doing the home coffee roasting and I apply for a couple of trade journals because internet was not as popular in the mid nineties, early nineties. Right. So you had to actually subscribe to a magazine and get it delivered. Wait for it. And, you know, and then sort of got interested in the whole process of coffee and realizing that it, it actually, it was a lot of the things that I was curious about and comfortable with like building a building or running machinery. I was not intimidated by any of that. Or roasting the beans. You were kind of, you well, started that. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, we did. You know, we actually met somebody in California again and went back. Equator Coffee, actually. Okay. Uh, and we met them in the process, and they basically showed us how to roast coffee. Okay. So, you know, yeah. they kind of all just came together. And then once we wanted to do something, this lease came up and said, let's, let's go. And we just went bang. We just kind of did it. And then realizing that actually coffee was a great product to be able to carry on you know, with our values. So for a business, it touched so many important pieces of a social aspect of caring mm -hmm. for people all the way through the supply chain, agriculture, which is very important, you know, and then organic agriculture, which is ultimately important. And then the quality of roasting coffee. And then every step of the way you could drill down and yeah. it's pretty exciting and we could have an impact. Yeah. So basically built a company that has impact throughout the yeah. whole supply chain why it was in 2001 that Rob and I took our first origin trip, which, which was a vacation slash coffee trip to Costa Rica oh, you know, okay. and visited sort of one of the few at the time organic farms there in Southern Costa Rica. And then, yeah. you know, that sort of opened up the door. And then ever since then, it just traveled extensively all around the world and okay. made these connections. But it was, yeah, 2004, I think it was, made a, a pretty major trip to Peru Okay. And then just started opening up more of these doors. But it was just really curiosity and asking. And, you know, all during this time since we started in 96, we kept asking for organic coffee. And then fair trade wasn't even on the radar then. It didn't come into Canada until 98. Yeah. What does that mean, fair trade? I, I want to ask you about the whole B Corp and fair trade. Yeah. Well, I mean, B fair trade basically is changed over the years as well. But in, in short, it's that farmers get paid a minimum price. So I'll give you an example. Coffee's traded on the commodity market, the C market. So it's, it's bought and sold in lots. And that's sort of what dictates the price. Say it's the way things have been done forever. Whether you're buying pork bellies or grains or whatever, I mean, coffee is traded on the C market. Okay. And so what fair trade does is it, it provides a minimum price. So even if the C market is low, it's supposed to be, you know, a living wage for the for, for the, the producer, farmers. yeah, ah, for the I farmers. See. So it sets a minimum price, and then you can pay differentials for quality above that. So, in short, that's what it is. There are other criteria that has been put into play over the years with fair trade, you know, and they do it. They go audit, you know, like there's no child labor, and you know, so they okay. go and audit the producer to make sure they're meeting the criteria. So it's I not see. strictly price. Price is one of the things. But there's a whole bunch of other criteria to make sure that farmers are actually practicing what they should be. It's an audit. Okay. So you're you're inspected, audited on certain criteria, the same as anything else. Okay, I'm going to jump a little bit here. And I want to ask a bit about the coffee plant. And it's full of berries. Like when they pick them, are those beans considered green once they pick that berry? Yeah, well, they're actually, yeah, they're in a cherry. You've probably seen them. I and mean, they're, yeah. they're basically the, the seed of the cherry is the, is the, the coffee bean. bean. Yeah. Yeah. And so, then, I mean, from when they pick it, there's a time frame, depending on the kind of process that they're doing. Okay. So there is a time frame to that. Okay. Like to dry it or something? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, dry it, pulp it, ferment it, then it gets dried. Okay. And then see, there's different processes for finishing the product okay so depending on what that is it's pretty tight timeline okay for a wash coffee at least and then it's got to get dried and then, then once it's dried and yeah you know, well they you know what it does it's in a little it's called a pergamino it's actually the bean 
has this natural hard little shell around it. Okay. And what they do is the coffee actually needs to rest for a bit. Okay. So once it's been picked, pulped, dried, and then it's ready to go and, you know, to the right moisture content, it, it actually should rest for a month or two okay. or even longer in yeah. a warehouse at origin. So what they do is they get it ready. And then when we want to, you know, when they place our, our order or our contract, then what they do is they take that uh, pergamino and then they take, they take the shell the pergamino off. Okay. And then they ship it as green beans to us. So that's, that's how the wash process works. I see. Okay. Yeah. And then once it gets to you, is does the time like clock start to tick as to when you have to roast it and eat it? Or yeah, to a certain degree, yes. I mean, I there is a time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there is a time limit on it. Once again, it can vary. And this is also the moisture content. We check that all the time. So as long as it's within a, a band, the right bandwidth of moisture content, you know, on the right storage conditions, it also depends where it's being stored. Yes. I mean, if it's a super humid place like New Orleans or something compared to Arizona, yeah. <laughs> it could be a difference. Or Vancouver is not super humid, but it also depends on the time of year. Well, can you tell just by looking at it if it's like gone off or anything or no? Well, not so much by look, by taste. By taste. So that's one of the things yeah. that, you know, we do regularly. It's called cupping, which is the valuation of the beans. Okay. So we do that, you know, and also part of the process is when we do buy the coffee is that... So the process is, you know, we agree to buy X number of bags or containers of coffee. Yeah. So we we sign a contract for a time period. And then when the harvest comes and ready to go, we get what's called a pre-ship sample. Okay. So they send us a small sample of, of that lot and then cup it, grade it, give them the feedback, and then all good to go. Then they ship us that lot. Okay. It goes to a public warehouse. Okay. And then we get what's called an arrival sample. And then we cup it and they should match. Okay, good. So your quality yeah. control is really good. <laughs> well, it is actually, yeah. it is. Yeah. I mean, and we're also working with traders. So I mean, we buy through them. We have the relationship with the producers, with them, but they're the ones that basically take, they buy it on our behalf, mm-hmm. they ship it on our behalf, mm-hmm. and then they're our partner. Mm-hmm. So we've got the coffee farmer, the co-op, the trader and us, yeah. we work together. Yeah. Is it hard yeah. to run a business with all those pieces or to consider or care for all those people, <laughs> all those connections? Uh, well, not really. Okay. You know, I mean, it's what we do. Yeah. And part of why, is it difficult? Yes. Is it undoable? No, because <laughs> right. we do it. And that's, I thought that sometimes, you know, like because the, the way we run our business, it is more challenging because it's not just the quality of the coffee. It's the quality of everything and the care of everything Mm -hmm. we do Mm -hmm. that makes it exciting and challenging. But to me, that's the only way to do business is, you know, you have to care about it and care about people and the process and the planet and all that stuff we just have forever. So it's kind of like just, it's what we do. It's good that it comes naturally to you because I think for a lot of people, it's hard to do business with a conscience or with care, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I've spent a big bunch of my life watching, observing. I'm, I'm not a, a guy that's out there in people's face all the time. I'm kind of more the person that's back here really observing and watching and reading and, mm-hmm. and seeing what's going on. And a lot of the things that I have seen happen over my lifetime, it's interesting. And, and a lot of that is, and I think a lot of the problem that we're facing in the world these days is because people are not caring enough. And we're, you know, we're a minority companies like Salt Spring Coffee. I mean, there are lots of companies like us, you know, and we're all trying to turn the dial in the right direction, but it's exciting and challenging and frustrating at times. Yeah, no, I bet. But to me, there's no other way to do it, you know? Right. 
Well, so what's frustrating? I mean, is there any frustrations to you about seeing that there's so many more coffee companies out there? No, not that. Oh, okay. You know, I, I'm just would, curious. Yeah. No, it's not about that. I think, yeah, I think, you know, in some ways it's good. Okay. More people can appreciate good coffee. Right. Everybody has the thing about coffee, which is kind of interesting. It's kind of like art. I mean, you can interpret in a different way. Okay. So you could give 10 coffee roasters or the same coffee mm-hmm. and you'll probably get a different taste of the 10 different, you know, coffees because they're going to do it their own way. Right. It's the equipment they've got. There's so many variables, but you know, it, it is exciting. And I think within reason, and it, it's become way more approachable yeah. than it used to be. Like when we first started, I said, I had to order a trade journal, wait for it to come in the mail. Now you can learn how to roast in your iPhone, right. you know? Basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And the Specialty Coffee Association, which is the trade association, is quite amazing. And then there's Roasters Guild and Barista Guild and all of these guilds that you can go and you learn how to do anything. I mean, it was not like that 25 years ago. Yeah. No, no. I'm sure it was a more sort of lonely venture for you. Yeah. I think that, say, within reason and you know it's everybody's kind of got their unique way of doing it and kind of neighborhood roasters and yeah i think the thing is for me as long as everybody does it with respect and good intention right and being open and to everybody else i think that's kind of key yeah if somebody kind of just if it goes too much to their ego and selfishness then that's not cool in my books but i think if everybody is you know wanting to do it and you know and, and really supporting the farmer and the producer, because that's really what needs to be. Right. They're the ones that do a big chunk of the work and get, you know, not as much recognition. Right. The C market and the, even with fair trade minimums there, it's still been very challenging for producers. Yeah, no, I yeah. Know. And the consumers don't really quite get it. Unfortunately, they figure, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? $17 a, pa- a bag or a pound or whatever it is, 20. It's it's like, well, that's actually barely the right mm. price. Okay. Consumer. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm sure for, yeah, for the farmers down there, farmers never get paid enough, really. Well, exactly. For all the hard work. Yeah. yeah for all the for hard everything. Work. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I understand. Do you have a favorite sort of country or region where your coffee comes from or even that you like, you prefer? I know business is one thing, but your taste buds. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've always been like, Rob and I always have had a, a special place in our heart for Sumatra. And in fact, when I was mentioning earlier about Little Cafe, there was one in Ashton, Oregon, and Rob and I went there back in the 70s, I guess, and we're drinking this coffee, and it had a very unique flavor to it, and didn't know what it was, because I don't even think the cafe knew what it was. Then when we started our coffee company and we're roasting Sumatra, there's that flavor again. So it actually Mm, was Sumatra. Okay, now I'm going to ask you a couple more questions, just back to the consumer, because I know people always want to know what's the best way to keep that then freshness is the freezer thing is that true i hear you put it in the freezer (laughs) well there's it once again i mean there's so many different studies one came out recently that i can't remember the details but freezing can be okay but the best way to do it is to keep something in a a sealed container like a hermetically sealed you know like a snap lid or something okay and keep it cool and you know a dark place so within a container that's dark yeah and just keep it out of the heat then that's the best way yeah. And so if you do get ground coffee, you know, try to consume it as soon as possible. I was like within uh, a couple of weeks kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that probably okay. would be max. I mean, I, I know that sort of the purest people, which is absolutely fine, is that it should be used probably within a maximum of two weeks, 10 days. But that's not always the case. And I don't know if it's a hard, fast rule. Right. And the thing is, for me, what I always think about coffee, and the best way to enjoy coffee is how you like it. <laughs> yeah. And there's no right or wrong way to do it. We've 
done lots of studies and research and talking to different people. And a lot of people say, well, I don't have room and I am, I'm not going to give up my counter. And the thing is too, with a grinder, if you're going to get a grinder, it should be one to get a good one right. <laughs> that you can actually get the right particle size. Right. And that way, because otherwise, if you get like a blade grinder, you know, it's a cheap, you know, the $20 yeah. blade grinder. Which is what I have. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is you can do it, but you got to pay more attention. Okay. And usually you should shake it when you're doing it. And then you, yes. you know, count and you that's kind right, of figure it out. Gets all, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, okay. you get big chunks and then fines. Yeah. And then what you're going to do is you're going to get an inconsistent cup at the end of it. How, how about so, you, do you? How do you drink your coffee? Do you do the pour over thing? Or well, I, I do a whole bunch of different things. Okay. Recently, I actually I do a bit of an experiment. I, I bought a little Breville super automatic espresso machine. Okay. And it's got a grinder built in, so that's my latest thing. But I pour over because I've done that for years. Right. Aeropress, French press. Air, I, I have an Aeropress. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So okay. I, I kind of go through phases. Yeah. Like right now, I'm really enjoying this automatic espresso machine. So okay. we grind it fresh, tamps yeah. it, portions it. You know, right. so I, I basically have a, we call them Canadiano. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> my wife and I were just away for a few days last week. And, you know, we travel with Aeropress. You know, I yeah. got a really good little hand grinder yeah. and an Aeropress. So that's... Hand grinder. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really cool. It's a really okay. good... I forgot the name at the moment. But, you know, it's... Because that way you're getting really good fresh ground yeah. coffee. Yeah. And it's small. It doesn't get very much room. Do you still try uh, coffee from other places when you travel? Absolutely. Do you kind of wander yeah. in to see what they're up to, what they're doing? <laughs> like yeah, what, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I haven't really traveled much at all in the last while. Yeah. But yes, certainly, certainly do. And it's okay. good to observe and taste and see and watch. And yeah, yeah, no, it's always part of that. And it's good to see what other people do. Yeah. It's like I was saying, it's kind of like art. People can present their art in different ways. Yeah. And coffee is a combination of art and science. Yeah. I like how you look at coffee like art. I, that makes a lot of sense to me. I get that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even how people decorate their cafe or their, you know, if they're roasting facility, you know, what kind of roaster do they have and the process and all yeah. of that. So before we opened, that's what I did. You know, Rob and I actually, once again, we we went up and down the Camino Real in, in uh, the Bay Area and yeah. went, went into all these little shops to see what they're doing. You yeah. know, that was before we started. This, and then we, that's how we put together our plan. You're probably you know? at Pete's before it was like a big, you know, yeah. chain kind of thing. Absolutely. <laughs> or we Phil's were. or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all of that. And uh, little small little places. And so we did, you know, that's how we did the research. That's one of the things about the coffee movement yes is there's there are so many different uh ways people can do it and i, I don't there's no right or wrong way to do it yeah. and that's kind of the beauty and i think as i said as long as everybody does it with respect to the product and the people mm-hmm. i think that's really key i sometimes find people get themselves a little bit too snitty about it and i don't know i don't really think does anybody any good yeah no no know? i agree yeah no i i that resonates a lot for, with me for sure well you know what mickey i've asked you tons of questions i could go on forever because like i said i think maybe i coffee's still in my future somehow maybe not as a business but more maybe yeah. i should do research <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's absolutely fascinating. And that's kind of yeah. why we ended up there too. And I feel that the, the journey never ends. I agree. Yes. And having been doing this, say, for 25 years, it feels like it, could just, it can kind of go on. And the industry moves and yep. finds new ways to do things. And they just there's more information available too. And it's, you know. There's so much more information. Yeah. What are you going to do for the next 25 years for Salt Spring? Like, do you have some new visions? Or like, you know. <laughs> well, you know, it's yes and no. In fact, my next meeting is sort of a re- revision of our, our, our strategy plan. Okay. 
Uh, today we're doing that. And, you know, I guess a lot of it for me is just basically keeping up with what we're we're doing. And a lot of it just, you know, really want to focus on regenerative agriculture. Yeah. And I, I, I think that is, is quite key. And I had an aha moment about a year ago and, you know, looking at what actually regenerative agriculture can actually do, mm-hmm. um, not only for coffee, but in general. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it can really kind of help heal the planet. Yeah. And I've done a lot of reading about that. And you okay. kind of think of very large scale operations there's some really good videos about large-scale cattle ranchers, you know, in Australia that have been doing this for 40, 50 years okay. on the brink of disaster and having to close. And then they switched everything to regenerative agricultural processes mm-hmm. and the things have come right back. One okay. example is a farmer said he was spending $800,000 a year on feed during okay. the season when it was dry. I mean, Australia is pretty dry anyway. Yep. Now it's down to like, a hundred thousand because by managing the farm properly and getting all the feed, you know, naturally they don't have to feed because there's grass to graze. So it's actually Mm. managing the, uh, the cattle better. Yeah. So that's just one example. So there are so many good examples about that. And that's kind of what we want to focus on, on that. Yeah. No, that's cool. I don't know if it's the right understanding, but when you say that, it reminds me of how I approach my fridge these days. So yeah. The more fresh foods you have in there, the more you can kind of use it, reuse it. I mean, not like to, until it's stale or I don't know how to explain it. Whereas if you just keep a whole bunch of boxed and canned things in the pantry, like yeah. it just goes off. You can't really do anything with it. It's just kind of yeah. a waste. It's just excess. Yeah. It's literally a waste. <laughs> well, the way we do it, we have good quality protein in the freezer you know we get local chicken local beef salmon from uh, local fishermen Mm -hmm. and then you know some grains and then we just go load up on good vegetables usually on saturday Mm -hmm. and then just kind of make meals out of that throughout the week and that's all you need right it's fantastic absolutely yeah so it's kind of a keto-ish way of coffee and good coffee coffee yeah yeah yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. I appreciate it. I love talking to you. I hope I can can go on for days. I know. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. you Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you. Before I forget, do you want some discounted coffee? Thank you to Salt Spring Coffee for a discount to my listeners, effective for the next few weeks. Check it out on Instagram at Glow Says for the code. Well, the future for Salt Spring Coffee is just more of what they've already been doing. As a company, they believe in caring for the family that grew the coffee. They care for the cooperative. They care for the trader anywhere that care is needed along the way. Then once this care has been applied, you can drill down on things like water management or conservation. He spoke passionately about regenerative agriculture as well. You can see a great post about this on their website at saltspringcoffee.com. In addition, Robin and Mickey are business leaders who believe social and environmental responsibility is just as important as profit. So they formalize their commitment to this as a B Corp. Seems like the perfect fit for them. Not easy, but what they've always done. Taking care of everyone every step of the way. Listen to B Corp Effect podcast on Apple, where Mickey articulates their commitment so well. Next week, I'm talking to a film producer, Charmaine Hammond, who participated in making a film called Back Home Again. Until you hear from me, subscribe to Glow Says on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. I'll talk to you soon.